Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Modern Drama Podcast for this week. Billy Amendola here again. Um, I know we say it all the time, but our next guest is another one of those players who just, well, he's adored by every other drama because of his feel and his groove. You know, it's just, it's his groove. It's so smooth. It feels so good all the time. Anytime he's playing the drums, you have him on a session. Those, those drums just sound and feel incredible so ladies and gentlemen <laughs> no longer canada's uh, uh, uh secret. <laughs> oh Cook. billy amadola thank you what a great introduction my god i think i have to paypal you after this this <laughs> five bucks every compliment you get five bucks <laughs> hey man uh, listen, thank I, you i know uh you know i i appreciate your drumming just just you know i'm a fan myself you know i've always been and, uh, you know, fortunately, we, be we became friends over the last 10, 12, 15 years or whatever it is. <laughs> but um, yeah, know, a little every, more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every drama that I speak to always just speaks highly of you. And, you know, with you, you kind of stay in the background. You're not one of those guys that push yourself on people. And, you know, you, you, you stay in the background and you just do your job. I, I, I do my best to do that. I, you know, I, I, f I feel like. Man, there's just so much saturation and so many brilliant players. And I don't know, there's just so much going on that the best course of action is is to, you know, walk softly and carry as big a stick as you can. You know, my, you know, uh, it's and it's it's still always a humbling kind of path to take. I th think it's important. You know, there's there's uh, there's no point in, in waving your own flag all the time. We already have to do that with social media like i don't know about you but when that when that whole thing started it was tough at the beginning because i had to convince myself that it's okay to like say this is what i'm doing today i always felt like a sense of 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 you know am i you know um, 
am I, is this braggy? Is this like, right. Ugh, I, 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 you know, and then you walk that line between don't brag, don't, you know, and, and people want to know what you're up to, your family, your friends, other musicians. So, so yeah, I mean, but thank you for saying that, but I, I, I still, to this day, always find myself navigating that line of, 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 uh, trying to stay, you know, as, uh, well, you know, and, 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 and a lot of times that works because the mystique too, because if you're out there all the, all the time, all the time, I mean, some of us, you know, some people have to be out there all the time because that's, you know, it's like, you know, even sure. this every week, it's like, I'm, I'm tired sure. of seeing myself and hearing myself. Um, but <laughs> you have to do it. And, and, and now that we still can't go out and interact, it's still, you know, it, it's still hard. So the whole internet and Zoom yeah. and, and the social media and all that, it's still a way of life, unfortunately, and fortunately, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I like the I like what you're doing. And, and you know, it's you work. So it's not like, you know, people that, that need to know who you are, know who you are. They hire you for you. <laughs> that's that's, I, that's I, how I... Hey, I just yeah. made 15 bucks. <laughs> exactly. I like... I, I do consider myself sort of the, the working guys, drummer guy, you know, I like, I, I, uh, and I love it. I love, um, being able to do different things and different, you know, if I'm doing a session or a gig, it doesn't matter if the gig is in a, at a festival in front of a big audience or at a, a club, you know, for 20 people, I don't care. Like, I just love the diversity of, of where I've ended up. You know, it's, it's kind of cool that, uh, I get to just experience a bunch of different kind of levels, you know, different music. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, before before we go back to your early days, let's start like where you are now. I know you've been out with Colby Calais, um touring, right? Yeah. 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 yeah I've been finished that. Just did a yeah, just did a month uh, of uh, flight dates. I mean, Colby, we've been doing stuff on and off for years, mm -hmm. so and it comes in waves, right? Um, so I just finished a month with Colby. Uh, in the next couple of months, I'll be back uh, out uh, fly dates with Smash Mouth. Um, you know, uh, the session things are, are super fun. Last week I did um, a session for Herb Albert. And then the next day I did a session, you know, for uh, um, Steelheart, uh, like an amazing 80s, you know, pop rock metal band. Like, it's funny the the thing <laughs> that I walk into the studio and I'm playing a ballad for Herb and then the next day I'm just like balls to the walls like, oh, you know, and I love it. I love it. I can't I can't say enough about that. But um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. I mean, it's basically weekend warrior stuff, fly dates with whoever. Um, and now, how, how is that in these days being on the road? I mean, obviously, it's got to be a little bit scary. Ah! <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, for sure, for sure. Obviously, we all know that that man. The first time I got on a plane since the pandemic doors, you know, slammed down, um, was not only a couple of months ago, and uh, it was uh, nerve wracking and anxiety ridden. I mean, I you know I'm vaccinated, and I and I know that there are are, are vaccine requirements on on in airports and in flights and all that stuff. But still you read the news, you hear about people uh, getting COVID regardless. So it basically traveling is, is kind of scary. You know, you, you, there's a, there's a, 
uh, an element of apprehension that comes along with every time I'm I'm driving to the airport. I'm like, oh God, like you're just trying to stay in your lane and keep, you know, and uh, physically and and uh, and uh, you know, hypothetically, you know, you just want to, you know, try and get through the travel portion. And even you got to remember, even gigs, we used to do meet and greets after every show, right? You know, all yep. that stuff's like new. Um, you have to be careful about, you know, you go to sing in a microphone, has somebody wiped that right. microphone down, has, you know, it's the layers and layers and layers of, of things that you have to try and keep an eye out for are, are kind of, uh, you know, overwhelming at times. So, so it's, it's, uh, it doesn't go without, uh, without anxiety or apprehension. I'm sure everybody's feeling that. Um, so, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't do a lot of bus tours that that would probably uh, give me the most anxiety of all because you're, you would be yeah. stuck. And I know a lot of my friends are on bus tours and, and, you know, we want entertainment. We want music. We want this career to, to move forward and, and the world to, you know, but right now we're in this bizarre in between place. We're not out of the weeds. We're not out of the weeds yet. We're half out of the weeds. So we're half, the world is half back to where, where it was. And so uh, it's a little, it's a little scary, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, you know, I guess everyone just has to be aware. That's what it is. Everybody just has to stay aware. Can't let your guard down, you know, thinking, Oh, this is, you know, this is fine. That's, that is, that is uh, the best way. I mean, I, you know, the best, most concise way to put it, keep your guard up. It's we're not, we're not ready yet, you know? Yeah. So, but I'm happy that you're out there playing, you know, just please be careful. I'm, you know, I'm sure you are. Thanks. And um, so now when being that you, you do studio and live, because you're also one of those guys who do both. um, When you're, do you play any differently when you play in the studio or as opposed to when you're playing live? Like, do you have a different approach or, you know, because some guys just say, no, I just sit down and I play. That's me. Yeah, I think that that um, there's a bit there's a bit of a slighter there's a different approach. I mean, you know, it's funny with live you, you can't even help it. I think uh, subconsciously you play a little harder. You 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 depending on the gig, of course. But you know, you you are connecting with an audience. You're connecting with ba- that's the other thing is you're playing with people. Uh, 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 unfortunately, this studio life now is really by yourself. <laughs> like people. You know, rarely you might have the artist there, you know, but uh, for the most part, you're playing to tracks, you're playing to rough tracks, right? So, so the environment is not only different uh, physically, but it's, but audio, you know, the whole thing is different. So, so yeah, I, I think that in the studio, uh, um, I find I can, I can pay more attention to my dynamics. I can pay more attention because I have more control. The other thing is obviously, you know, you can do it again. <laughs> you can punch it. So you can, you know, you can, you can, you can fool around with how loud or soft you're playing or how dynamic you're getting or how you hit your cymbals. The other thing too, is that, that the gear changes, you know, in, in the studio, you can get away with smaller crash cymbals because the microphones are going to pick those up, you know, and, and all that stuff, they, they, they get mixed in a different way. Live, um, I always overcompensate with slightly larger, thinner, but larger crash cymbals because the decay gets lost instantaneously in, in, if you go, you see, you go see a band, your favorite band. The first thing I notice is if, if, if the guy cymbals like an 18 inch crash 
An 18 in the studio or in a small club is not an 18 at a festival. Right. Eight, the outdoor. Sounds like a splash symbol sometimes. It depends on, like, so you have to, you know, it depends. Yeah. All the, So that that's different for me too. But uh, uh, the, the thing that for most live gigs, it's the same for me in my, in my gigs is I'm still playing with click in, in both situations. So that actually helps the studio that, that it, it helps to not feel like I'm in a different environment. Like when you're recording, you know what I mean? Yeah. And everybody's, everybody's using tracks at some point or another. And so it's almost a requirement. Now you have to be able to be comfortable and not play stiff and not, right. You know, but the more you do it on both sides, it helps both. Like they're always feeding each other, you're, you know, yep. because again, live, you're playing a click, but, you know, things are happening all around you. It's not like the studio where you can look at a cheat note or you can just play and play. No, live, you, there's so many more things at play. So, 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 so when uh, you do, when you do play live, besides the click is there anything else you in the ears is you you're using in the ears yeah yeah is there I, anything else besides the click oh lots and i gotta i love it in the last uh, decade i've i've switched over to um having my own monitor mixer so the monitor guy sends me stems so i'll get drums just down a, a mono channel bass separate guitar separate keys separate tracks uh and click separate vocals separate so what happens, it takes them maybe an extra five, 10 minutes at the beginning of any show to set up. But once they do that, the monitor guy never has to look at me again. It's brilliant. Like they're happier. They can watch the front line, which is absolutely more important to make sure your singers and your front line is happy. You don't want a guy waving from the, the back of the room, you know, the back of the stage, like, you know, pointing and, you know, like, so the, the, the beautiful thing is that, you know, it's an eight, you know, just a, you know, eight, eight or 12 channel mixer. And if there's an intro to a song coming up to where I know it's acoustic guitar and I really want to lock in, I just push up the acoustic guitar and, and, you know, I can, you know, how, you know, you play. Yeah. You get a, you well, you're, get, yeah. You're in charge of what you're hearing. In which yeah. So I always, I always try and have that in my live environments. And, you know, I've I've been spoiled on that respect so much that even if I do <clears throat> a small uh, a gig in a club, I have a little four channel Mackie. I throw a couple of fifty eights in a in a knapsack, a couple of cables, and literally, I could put one on the floor beside me, put one over by the guitar, and I can still have ears and a little level click. I can still have that that experience of having control, you know. Once you have that monitor blasting at you, it, it, a lot yeah. of it is a lot of it is out of your control, and you're like, because you don't want to be that guy every right, song, right. I, yeah, because yeah, I know because sometimes the, the sound man has other things, and you're trying to get his attention. Yes. Yeah, of course. Of and course. you being a, you being a studio guy, you know about sound, so you you, you know that's a, that, and that's good. That, that, Everybody should be able to afford to be able to do that. I, I was in Nashville two weeks ago and I, I went to the studio with Paul Lime. He took me around to some of the studios and uh, there was a big session set up and every single person had their own almost 24 track. It was the, I yeah. mean, it was a pretty nice sized board. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, because yeah. obviously there, a lot of people are recording live and all together. But I, I, I you know, I, I think that was one of the first times that I saw that, you know, you're amazing. You know, 
you get your, your, you know, your mix, but you always have to tell the engineer, I make this a little louder, no, lower this. Then the next uh, song, it's a different setup. And imagine how much time is saved on the on the engineer's level. You know, you got a room, you're recording a band, five guys, four guys, and each one of them, remember, I mean, you know, it's like live. Like, you know, when you're doing sound check, you're just sitting there waiting. Oh, that guy's waiting. He wants to hear more snare, more hi-hat. Oh, that guy needs more keyboard. And you're waiting, 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 waiting. 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, same as the studio. But now the studio, they have mix stations at every in every place. Guys just sit down, put their headphones on. They do them. It's already done. They've sent them the, the you know. Yeah, the they what they want to hear. Yeah, yeah it's so great. Now, I mean, what, what gear are you using? Uh, what gear do you like who do you, who's your endorsements? Ooh, I am still a, a loud and proud uh, Yamaha Zildjian uh, Remo Regal Tip guy. Yeah, 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 great. And you have your own. You have a signature stick, don't you? Have a signature stick. I, you know what? I did have a signature stick, um, but I think I think years ago they took my uh, Regal Tip. Decided that um, they wanted to take my stick and put it into their general population. They actually took the model that I that I created and made it a regular model in their lineup. So, oh, okay. cool. so uh, yeah, yeah, so. Um, God that bless was... uh, Yeah, he, he turned 100 years old, man. Oh God. my God, oh my God, and, so and, good. Carol and Kathy, they do a great job, at, you know, yeah. keeping, you know, it's hard these times for everybody, you know. I know. Pandemic, you know, we all know, we don't have to. Yeah, yeah. That goes, that goes without saying. Yeah. So now, uh, live and in the studio, do you, do, you, do you use pretty much the same kit or different kits always different I, right it what changes yeah it changes i did a session uh, just last night and swapped out you know i had a 22 10 12 14 16 you know most guys you know when i i think one of the most common setups now you see live in in, in a studio is like you know kick snare you go one rack and maybe one or two floors right that's like the become sort of like the on vogue you know right. in vogue kind of thing um but I was last couple of weeks. I've been doing a, a, a some tracks for an artist in, in Canada. That's kind of like Steely Danny a little bit. So I need that ten. I need that twelve. I need those. I need to go back and have that setup where I have ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen with a twenty-two. Yesterday I did a, a session where I needed a twenty-four, thirteen, sixteen, eighteen. So, and obviously. Uh, crashes always change, snares always change, and I have, you know, as as uh, many of us do, uh, an assortment of, of toys when it comes to snare drums, you know. Yeah, I mean, that, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's so uh, fun. More than we'll ever need. But <laughs> more than we'll ever need. It's the that's one what, thing. That's what, that's what our wives and girlfriends always say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really, there's no more room for more snares. <laughs> Right. All right. So let's let's go back to the to the beginning. I, I know you were born in Toronto and come from Canada. Yeah. And then um, I, I think when did you move to, to L.A.? In, I think 2004, right? 2005. Yes. Oh, wow. That's a great, great catch. Yes. 2004. Yeah. So, and, and your dad, because, you know, I in, in, you know, you've been in modern drama before. So, of course, I've interviewed you before. Yeah. But um, your dad, I, I forgot about that till I did a little, you know, went back to look at some stuff and. Dad was a player, so yeah, tell, yeah. Tell us a little bit about dad and growing up. He was. Uh, uh, I have a, a, a picture. I used to have it as my Facebook picture profile, but it's a picture of me. Um, I was uh, six months old, 
and I'm leaning on a sofa and there's a marching snare drum, chrome marching snare in front of me and the sticks are in my hands and I'm actually holding them traditional. Six months old, I'm propped up. My mom, you could see my mother's arms holding me because if she lets go, I'm just going to fall over. And my, they put my dad's uh, uh, Toronto Scottish pipe band beret on my head. And so that's proof in the pudding that, that uh, through osmosis, um, there were sticks and snare drums uh, around me from birth. Um, my dad was more of a marching drummer uh, in the Toronto Scottish pipe band. He, he at one point had a little jazz kit and had it in the, in the living room at, at one point fooling around. But really, his influence on me and, and, and that process was all about uh, rudimental drumming. And, and, and for me, as a young teenager, like even, sorry, even younger, like 12 years old, I started, uh, um, I joined a marching band. But I didn't want to wear the kilt, you know, the skirt. <laughs> it's like, no way. You know, that's when, you know, dad's not so cool anymore, right? Yeah. But I, but I had already, you know, I had uh, already, my dad had already shown me on my rudiments, when, you know, as I was growing up. And so I joined a, mar uh, like a, uh, you know, the Cadet Lancers of Etobicoke in Toronto. I joined a marching band. My dad was always, I remember going, my mom taking me to watch him in parades in the Toronto Scottish Pipe Band because he was, and that drumming is completely different. And in my, in my opinion, harder <laughs> like it's all swung it's all like pressed pressed rudiments none of them are open it's you know so uh but that was how you're carrying everything <laughs> yeah yeah right so um man i remember in my marching band even at age 12 13 years old uh we were like the the like considered the baby band we weren't like the the sort of 16 to 18 years old where the guys are really going crazy like like i, I wasn't at that level i was like mid-level like our, our the age group was younger but i still remember parades where uh you know the guys that had to carry the kettle drums like there was a dude the kids that had to carry these drums these massive drums at the end of every parade they had oxygen tanks and masks waiting the poor kid would walk over to the sidewalk, take the drum off and just fall. And literally, cause you're, you're marching in 90 degree heat with 90 degree humidity. These kids are like, you know, just barely getting through it. But uh, you know, that those are my experience, like coming up to, 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 for, for drumming and, and rudiments. Then and I got into all That's all good getting your hands in shape. I mean, that's the first thing you want to do anyway. I think so. And I, I, that's probably why as a young music listener, I gravitated towards players like Steve Gadd and players like that, because I could hear, I could hear in his playing clearly even some of his iconic drum groups, you can hear the rudimental, right. you know, and I love that. I, I kind of love that, that marriage of, of, uh, of hearing those, those uh, rudiments, those open rudiments and whatever, you know, just being. And, well, and, and I think also you're amazing with grace notes. So I think that, I think a lot of that because of your feel, I think a lot of that came into play. Would you say that came into play? That thousand percent. The grace note thing in grooves is a, a direct derivative of paying so much attention to the dynamics and just playing rudiments alone between accents and, you know, your, because we got, I mean, imagine in, in, in marching corps, like they're, they're looking at your stick heights. They're like, when you get judged, they're judging you on, on stick height. 
you know, the drums all had to be the same, uh, uh, the same level, even uh, no matter how tall or short you were. Right. That was the other thing. It's all visual as well. It's visual has to look the same. And so, you know, uh, that, that was, that was really the, the ba- a good base for, for understanding how important that, that is to, to why a groove, why that guy plays the same groove and this guy plays it. And, but this one feels a little better. Why? Right. It's really, it's really just that, to be honest with you. It's that discipline of knowing. It's that, it's that spread, you know? Can you get yeah. your grace notes a little softer and your accents a little louder? Can you do that and make that, you know, yeah. Feel good. Yeah, no, you're great. That, that's, that's a very strong point of yours that, that everybody gravitates to the way, to your field. So obviously, that had a lot to do with it. So now, um, uh, go, go, going back, besides Dad, who, who like did Dad? What records did Dad play you? Like bands? Did he did he turn you on to any, uh, any people? You know, my my folks were like listen to 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 uh, you know um, adult radio. Like I all I heard was pop radio hits and and folk music. I didn't grow up listening to really any specific genre, to be honest with you, just radio, right? Just so, which is good though. I, I, I sort of came up listening to things that, that were produced and made it on the radio, which means they've gone through the process of being a good song and, and being produced well. And the drummer's not playing crazy. You know what I mean? Like I, I learned, I learned restraint. I learned, um, uh, in context playing fills that made sense to, to the song all that, all that stuff. And then, you know, oddly enough, um, when I was 15 years old, I joined my first band because I was Cub Scouts from 10 years old with a bunch of boys from, uh, you know, the East coast of Canada. And one was from Jamaica. And I ended up uh, in a band called phase four, um, seven guys. I was the only white kid, six black guys. And all we played was funk, reggae and disco and dance. And that's all I knew. And I mean, like, uh, you know, old school funk, what we call old school funk now was just <laughs> funk. Then, but, but, um, you know, the groove, that's all, all that stuff is groove oriented. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I started taking lessons, I remember seeing guys with books under their arm, you know, like, you know, everybody had the Neil Purple book, everybody had the, the drummer's cookbook, you know, uh, the, you know, and, uh, I, 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 it took me a long time to to take that leap into into rock into uh chops of fills like all i all i knew was was drum beats like just that's all i knew well that you know? set you up for being a studio musician that was the perfect setup yeah without even knowing mm-hmm. that you know because all yeah. that comes in subconsciously about how important a song is like you said all the yeah. elements if there was a song on the radio you know we all wanted to be how blaine you know we all wanted to play on everything you know i i would turn the radio yeah, on yeah. and i wish i played on that oh i wish i played on that oh i would love oh, that yeah record. right yeah i mean now, really uh, yeah. who was who 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 would you say besides dad you know was your biggest influence growing up the one guy other than steve gadd because of that sort of rudimental stuff that i heard in his playing and then the amazing you know um musical song approaches that that steve had to to what he was doing was stir copeland from the police um 
think about me being in this reggae band in Toronto and all of a sudden, you know, I, I was exposed to another guy playing reggae. Here was this white guy playing reggae. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like he's he's playing fills that I hear from Bob Marley albums. And he he gets it like he's playing all, you know, kick drums on the three, not on the one. Like I was like, who is, you know, this band, the police. Oh, my God. Anyway, so the police and Stuart Copeland's playing was a, a, a huge influence on on my approach, on my hi-hat, on my attention to hi-hat. Think about how how musical he was. You right. know, that part of his drum set playing was always like dancing around and, you know, very dynamic. Anyways, I loved all that stuff. So yeah, for sure, for sure, Stir Copeland.
Yeah. Cool. And now the way that uh, some some people may not know, but, but the way that you and I met was um, through Ringo Starr. Yeah. Wow. What a bucket list event in my life. <laughs> to our buddy Ringo. I mean, um, well, uh, uh, let's go through the process. So did you got the gig with uh, Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics first, right? You were playing with Dave. Still playing yeah. with today. You know. So still, let, let's, let's tell that story about how that all came about because Randy was in Ringo's band for his TV promotion for the Liverpool 8 album. And then you tell the story about going to Liverpool and... Oh my God. Well, let, it, it wouldn't be fair without quickly just just really uh, uh, bullet pointing the the path to to sort of Dave because that, you know, it's because of Dave Stewart and Dave Stewart using his players to 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 bring into Ringo's promotional tour for Liverpool 8. But how I got to Dave Stewart really quickly, I'm in LA and I have a friend in Toronto <clears throat> that manages a singer from a band. And there's a guy in Buffalo that manages that band. <laughs> Toronto guy manages the singer. The Buffalo guy manages the band. So they always have to talk to each other about touring schedules. Can I get the singer? Can I have the band? That kind of thing. In that conversation on the phone, the Buffalo guy says, hey, I'm putting a band together for Ian Gillen from Deep Purple. I have everybody, but I don't have a drummer. And my friend who I played in bands with, who was at the time working for Rush's management, SRO, he says, I got your guy. Call this guy. He's from Toronto, but he's in LA right now, but he'd be perfect for the gig. So he gives my number. He reaches out to me and he says, Andy Curran in Toronto reaches out to me. And this, this fellow's name was still a dear friend, Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, um, Michael Lee Jackson uh, is not only Ian's uh, personal manager, he's uh, his entertainment lawyer, and he's going to play guitar in the band. Wow. So, so he's wearing three hats and he, he reaches out to me and says, you come highly recommended. Could you send me some, send me some music? So I, of course, pull together a couple of, of MP3s that I feel are in that vein, that bowl. And I send him the Rick Emmett CD, Rick Emmett's breakout CD um, after he left Triumph. And there's a track on that, that CD called Drive Time, and it's a very fast shuffle. And I sent him this stuff, and a day later, he, he calls me up, and he goes, I heard eight bars of Drive Time, and I knew you were the guy. That was it. Let's talk schedule. Let's talk. Okay. So now I'm on the Ian Gillen tour. We start on the east coast of, of America, and we're going to go all the way to the west coast. And I end now, up were, you doing, were you also doing Deep Purple songs? Was he doing any Deep Purple? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Wow. Yeah, we, uh, in every city, they ran a radio contest, and a local guitar player could come up on stage with us and play Smoke on the Water. It was <laughs> to see these young kids, you know, girls, guys, like it just, it was a, you know, dream come true for them and, and uh, super exciting for us. So we make our way to the West Coast. We get to LA. Last gig, uh, you know, Sunset's Trip, the House of Blues. I'm in the dressing room and there's this big guy and big black guy. And he's got wearing all black. He's got black sunglasses and he's like just super cool. And I don't know what he, I don't know what he's doing in the dressing room. Like, like, you know, he's, you know, he's just all like sort of quiet and I meet him. This is before the gig. He says, uh, you know, my name is Michael Bradford. And I go, hi, Michael. It's great to meet you. And I don't really even at that point 
know if he's a friend or it turns out he produced the last deep purple album. He was the bass player in kid rocks. band. Oh, right. he, he's like, he's like, you know, a legend already. And I'm just stupid. And I don't even know. So I, so on, we go on stage and it turns out that night on our last tour, Michael Bradford is going to come out and do smoke on the water. He's going to be the guest and Ian introduces him. And so after the show, we all make friends. We exchange numbers. It was great to meet you. And a couple of months later, Michael and I start working together. I start playing on some demos for him. Michael puts Dave Stewart's band together because he was Dave's musical director. Right. That's right. And that's how I got to play with Ringo. And, and imagine uh, the first time I talked to Ringo was on the phone. I was doing a demo with Dave in LA where I was set up and we're sitting in the control room and Dave just goes here <laughs> and he hands me the phone, like doesn't tell me anything. Just hands me someone go here. Someone wants to say hello. And I go, hello. And it's Ringo Starr. <laughs> like, Great. Thanks. Anyways, we had a, a very lovely and brief conversation. I was like very excited to meet you and you know, uh, what do you say? Come on. You know, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to like draw this out, but it's pretty, pretty uh, intense and amazing and exciting to talk to one of your, your icons. One of yeah, your, and, then, and then go on tour and play double drums and. Um, oh my God. And, and we didn't, you know, I mean, how long did that? Yeah. I, it was like a year, right? It was like. Oh, it was about yeah. half a year. I think it caps about yeah. half a year. The yeah. whole promo, all the TV shows. Yeah. And we, we literally met on stage, uh, met on stage at Soundcheck, like walk on stage. There's the two drum kits, <laughs> you know? And, uh, so it's, it's, it's many things at once. It's exciting. You're nervous as hell. You, like, you know, you're trying to contain all these things and, and you're a drummer playing with another drummer. Forget, forget about all of the obvious, crazy, intense things that are going through your head. Right. Are you looking to your left and there's a beetle? Like, f try not to think about that, but now you're going to have to play with another drummer. There's a dance and a marriage that happens. And, and of course, I'm going to let him lead. I'm going to follow him. And it, and it truly was a dance. It's, and, you know, I can't say and have said on the record, and I love telling, I love saying this, that playing with two drummers is not the most simple thing at all it's it, everybody has their own pocket their own time their own feel but probably the easiest drummer i've ever played with has been ringo star and I, that is not that's not a word of a lie he just has an internal clock yeah. that is beautiful like like he just his feel playing along with him was just effortless and so i would just play with him if he started a triplet fill I would let him get halfway in the bar and then I would finish with finish. a triplet fill with him. You don't want, he does a triplet. I do straight 16. You know, I never want to do that. I always let him start lead. Like if he's da, 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 then I'm going to, I'm going to join in at the end of the bar with 16. So I had, you know, I'm listening all the time to where he, where he is. Right. So, but yeah, it was uh, it was amazing. So yeah, that, that that was a great period of time, and and you know, and, and at the time, you, you kind of were still like a little under the radar, 
you know, and and I guess Ringo really believed in in Dave Stewart, obviously, that he just said, you know, he just completely left it up yeah. to Dave. You know, you can use your guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, we'll yeah. use your band, and 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 it, it worked. And I remember the girl violin player was in that band. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh my God! So the whole band was was just top notch. I mean, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that whole record, that period, that that well, that obviously Liverpool Eight was the record that uh, they they produced. And then yeah. you went, you wind up going to Liverpool for Ringo's big like homecoming, and I think it was they crazy. City and. It was like uh, uh, Liverpool that year had been named City of Culture. I think that switches each year to a European City of Culture. And all of those planets were in alignment for Ringo that year because he has a CD called Liverpool Late. He's going to perform in Liverpool in the same year that that CD is released. And Liverpool is a City of Culture. And I think there were about 80,000 people in the in the core of the city. And we were on a roof. I know. Top. I have, we we like, ran photos. Rob Shanahan took the photos. We ran them in Modern Drama, full page spread. And was, you're on that overlooking. It, it was a gorgeous shot. It was crazy. Shot. It was crazy. Yeah. Now, that, I mean, that was, that's yeah. a great memory. Those are all great, great memories. It is for sure. And and everything, all the TV shows we did were, were incredible. I mean, we did the Craig Kilborn show. Uh, Craig didn't have any other guests that night. He only had Ringo. So we just... We just kept playing songs and he'd keep interviewing Ringo. We just played that song. And yeah, yeah. And we. Yeah, I, I, and Rachel Ray, I, that's when I hung out with all you guys. You introduced yeah. me to, um, to, to Dave that day. And um, yeah, we that was a great day. I mean, we had Rachel Ray cooking oh, for us. Amazing. Yeah, was, was amazing. Uh, yeah, it's great memories. And it was, it was amazing. Obviously, too, like, I know we haven't really said it, but Billy, you're a little bit of a legend yourself, my friend. And so it was amazing for me to, no to, to meet you. Come on. Dude, from this high, we grow up, you know, idolizing that magazine. And, and like, it was the, is the only magazine f for decades that catered to drummers and drumming. And, 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 and there you were at the, at the, uh, the throne, so to speak. And so finally to, finally to meet you also and hang out with you was very special for me. And I, and I, I consider that uh, Well, thank awesome. you. Okay. Thank you. And and now I have to give you, you you don't have to pay me. You could keep that. <laughs> I get the five bucks back. I've been making I've been making those. I got a calculator. I think it was twenty two fifty. So <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank, thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, my so pleasure. before before we let you go, I mean, Kelly Clarkson, you 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 played on, on like on her hit albums when she was at her peak, correct? I did. Yeah, I didn't do the. I didn't do. It's funny. I did the. It's funny. I did the demo for her first single in Toronto. Because the writer, the writer uh, was a friend of mine, and then, uh, uh, then the second single uh, called "Walk Away" I, I played on in Los Angeles, produced by a and written by a completely different set of Canadians, uh, uh, Rain Maida and Chantel Kravyazik. Um and uh, so I got to do that. And then a, a couple of CDs later, I'm on another single. Um, oh, uh, yeah, stronger, so, stronger, right? I think. Yeah, stronger. Yeah, stronger. Yeah, I mean that was a huge hit for her. It's a great song. Um, uh, yeah, I get, you know, from the sublime to the ridiculous, like I said, I'm lucky in terms of, uh, sometimes I do a song that, that I don't even know about till a year later, like a couple of months ago, um, Noel says to me, you know, there's an Olivia Rodrigo, Rodrigo song that, that you're on. It's double platinum right now. This mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, and I say, no, I don't think that's me. And she goes, I remember when you were charting it. I remember when you were listening to it, making notes. I remember that song. And she right. goes, come, come listen to it here. Is that you? And I actually had to text the producer, the writer, and say, is that me? Did I do that? <laughs> Right. He goes, yeah. I was like, okay, great. I, you know, I ordered my, <laughs> my yeah, order. Got, you got, get another like, gold platinum record. You know, yeah. Like, it's just, I mean, it's just for my own. You know, those awards are for the day when the phone just stops ringing and I can just sit on the stairs and go, what? Remember the day when someone liked my playing? <laughs> no, hey, let me tell you, though, that in the music business, we all know how the music business is. We like, you need that encouragement. Otherwise, we'd really all be insane. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, thank and you. Alanis, well, I know Alanis Morissette was from Canada. When did, when did you play with her? Because I know you played with her as well. I did a very short little writing stint with her. I only did. It's funny. I've done, you know, I got to play with some crazy, amazing people. But sometimes it's like a three-day demo session, three days at a studio. So I did three days at a studio in Toronto with Lannis, just writing sessions. Her on grand piano, an upright bass player, and me. And she would just she would just turn to me and say, start a, start a loop, so play a groove. And I'd just play, and she would just, stream of consciousness, like they just roll tape just all day. And uh, that was how that session went. I'm, I mean, I did another three-day session in Los Angeles once with Mick Jagger. It was Mick Jagger and Dave Stewart and Michael Bradford. And uh, same thing, just just sitting around, cranking out demos. And, you know, sometimes these things just end up on hard drives. And, uh, and, but still, you, ha you, you have that experience. You get to hang out and, and play. At one point, I got to uh, punch Mick, Mick's vocals. Wow. He was... Michael had to, to step out for just a minute and Dave's on the, the sofa and he says, uh, you know, Mick's standing out on the floor. Can you, he wants to punch in and I, do you know how to work pro tools? I said, yeah. So I sit at the desk and might tell you my hands are shaking. Like, <laughs> like all I have to do is hit space bar and then the number three key to put it into record. I say the talk back. Hey Mick. Uh, okay. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, and literally that lasted five minutes and then Michael walks back in and I, and I literally leap out of the chair, <laughs> but these are the, these are the experiences you get to have. I mean, it, magic, you know, magic moments. Yeah. And, and then plan, you see circumstance. I always go through the circumstance. It's like everything falls into place the way it's supposed to fall into place. Yeah. Yeah. And magic moments, you know, that's, that's what keeps us all in this business. I think so. And it's, and I, and I'm still a firm believer in, saying yes to as much of everything as possible. I really feel like it's about connecting with as many musical situations and people as possible, regardless of money, regardless of, you know, it, to me, it's more, it's always going to be about, about scheduling. Right. Can I physically go, do this? If I can, I, the answer is always yes. I was going to, and that's great advice. Cause I was going to ask you before we leave, um, to, to finish up here is um, what advice do you have for uh, especially our younger, you know, because now modern drama, you know, we, we, we're, we're embracing a whole new younger audience now that's starting to grow with us. And what yeah. advice, you know, with your and, and you give them. That's part of it. Other, other than, you know, other than the new, the, the new uh, um, 
uh, arena that we're in regarding click tracks. Everybody's using tracks. I mean, you have to feel comfortable with metronomes and clicks, so you might as well start, whether it's live. Even if you're not in the studio a lot and you're practicing with your band in, in your mom's basement, it doesn't matter. Put Put a click in for a little bit and just get used to it. It doesn't have to be all the time. It doesn't have to be, you know, 100%. But you need to not be uh, uh, afraid of it. You need to be able to feel comfortable with it because it's coming for you. <laughs> when you you get that touring gig, you're going to have a click. So you might as well. So that's one. And the last one is the business side is, you know, the, the, the question about how much a gig pays or a session pays should be the last question if asked at all. Because you want to have faith in people that they're going to be fair with you. And most, I got to be honest with you, 99.9% .9 of the time, the person that's asking you to do something, they're not, they know they're asking you. Right. If they only have $20, $100, it's because they only have $100. They're not, they're not going to, you know, most of the, almost, you know, 99 times out of 100. So you're good. You don't have to make that conversation. You don't have to pull that conversation there. I always feel like money right. is like, because the money will come. Yeah. You know? and, like, and like you said, like, you don't know, you could play on something. And then a year later, it's it's out. And it's a, it's, it's a gold record, you know, or you could play for somebody for nothing. And a year later, they call you and they have a paying tour. Right. And the reason they called you over somebody else is because you, you you weren't that person. You never you never yeah. made it about that, and yeah. and that's a, that's a characteristic I think that should be adopted as you come up as you come up the ladder. Great great advice. Great advice. Well, listen, thank you so much for. Taking oh my God! And you, I want to you with the oh my God! Look at this guy! I want to reach through the camera and hug you. I thank know. you, Billy. Oh, wow, we had a good time when we did the. Uh, you came, you were one of my guests at the 50th anniversary of the Beatles Fest with Hal Blaine and James Gadsden. We had some fun that oh weekend. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank you again. Amazing. Amazing. Some fun. Well, thank, I'm, I'm so proud of all your success, man. Continued success. Please stay safe on the road. Thanks. And you and your family, I wish the best for you and your family as well. Thank you. And everyone out there in Modern Drummer Land, thank you, Randy. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next on the Modern Drama Podcast. Woohoo!
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.